This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Lucas Levy Zmeble. And I'm Yannick Mayan. And what's the topic for today, Yannick? Bizarro, IR- uh, ah, bizarro iOS releases. Wow, it's so bizarre that you have an issue pronouncing it. Yeah. But I think before we start on Bizarro iOS versions, you have some follow-up. Yeah, so, well, it's a little bit of follow-up about Iconoclasm, which we discontinued on the show uh, several months ago. In fact, uh, I think it's like, Almost what, two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> that was about to say two years. Uh, but the reason it comes up is because Iconoclasm has continued to work on iOS until iOS 10. And there is technically no uh, jailbreak for the latest version of iOS 10. However, there are other semi-tethered jailbreaks uh, for various versions between 9 and 10. And people have continued to force install Iconoclasm on their devices and use it because it apparently still works. However, I realized this week iOS 11 is going to fuck shit up big time. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that, uh, like, I open-sourced Iconoclasm under the hopes that somebody would take it and use it as a base to create something more modern uh, that they could maintain into the future. Nobody has apparently done that. Everybody is so lazy that they would rather just continue to use Iconoclasm as it is, uh, which I would not recommend because there are, like, there were bugs before I discontinued it and... They are still there, and they are presumably worse because other things have changed under the hoods that I'm not aware of. Um, but iOS 11 is changing how the sc- home screen is... Uh, well, first of all, it's completely different with regards to the dock because the dock no longer has icon labels, and that also influences how things are centered and laid out, which means that people who use Iconoclasm starting right there, the dock is not going to be centered correctly. Um and then there's drag and drop, which is going to be used for all of the icons now. And I think that the drag and drop framework will bring significant changes to SB icon view because it currently has its own completely different implementation uh, in existing OSs, which means that people may actually be forced to find a replacement for Iconoclasm and or I might get a ton of email from angry Iconoclasm users who maybe aren't even aware that Iconoclasm is discontinued asking for me to update it to iOS 11. So I realized this this week. Um, I don't have anything else to add on the subject. I just I'm preparing myself mentally in case something happens. Just as a reminder, well, what was the last iOS version support that uh, Iconoclasm supported? I think it was 9 point something. Okay, so and you said that there was no like popular jailbreak for 10. I think there is a semi-tethered jailbreak for a version of 10. However, 10.2.2 is not supported. Oh, I see. So so up to so it would be like 10.2.2 and more recent version up to 3.3 where you are. Yes, 2.3. Like you can't jailbreak it as we speak. Yeah. Huh. So all but so that's good then because it means that you still have kind of a major version of compatibility and then everything goes to the trash for iOS 11. And like most of the Iconoclasm stuff has not changed significantly since iOS 7. There have been very few changes since iOS 7 to SB Icon View. It's pretty mature by now. Um, so yeah, it's I got a lot of mileage out of the iOS 7 changes and in many ways it was much better than all of the run from iOS 4 to iOS 6. Um, and that sort of fits within our theme because we're going to be talking about iOS versions today. So why not bring up follow-up about iOS versions? But before that, I have a mini topic, uh, and it's a game recommendation. 
I would like to recommend everybody who listens to this podcast check out Sonic Mania on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and in a week PC. Uh, the PC version was delayed for optimization, which is kind of strange because it's a 2D Sonic game. It's not like something that is going to make your PC fall apart, especially if you have a big gaming PC. But apparently they needed to delay it two weeks for optimization. Very strange. Um, if you are a fan of 2D platformers or of the Sonic series, uh, you should definitely check it out. Um, I think it was about two years ago, like around the time we were doing this podcast uh, regularly, I started playing through the Saturn compilation of the Genesis Sonic games, and they were all really great. However, Sonic 3 Knuckles was absolutely fantastic, and I put it up there with Super Mario World as like one of those iconic platformer games of the 16-bit era. And Sonic Mania is basically, we are taking the formula that worked for Sonic 3 Knuckles, and we are giving it to fans of the game. Uh, so the people who made the game are Christian Whitehead and Stealth, which are people who made uh, the Sonic CD port for iOS a couple uh, many, many years ago. And they're very big in the Sonic fan game community. They have made various Sonic fan games. And they were so good that Sega hired them to actually make a real Sonic game for once. And that's what Sonic Mania is. Uh, three quarters of the game is redone stages from existing Sonic games, which is a little bit unfortunate. However, the second stage of each uh, of those zones is a completely remixed version of the thing. So they add new mechanics that were never in the original level, which really spices things up a, a, a lot. Because I've played all of the games that have levels in this, and I definitely recognize the levels that I've played already that are a little bit changed to add more mechanics from other games. But the remixed versions are really, really cool. I'm about two-thirds through the game, and it, like, there are so many good games this year, like, it's hard to say that this is the game of the year, but it is definitely one of the greatest games of the year, and it's only 25 bucks Canadian, or I think it's 20 US, uh, so definitely, if you're a fan of 2D platformers, go check that out, it is a ton of fun, and you will have a bunch of fun. Okay, now we move to the main topic about Bizarro iOS versions. Yes. So while everybody is busy preparing their apps for iOS 11's release this fall, I thought it would be pretty interesting to go through the strangest and occasionally some forgotten releases of iOS. It, are, are we going into that route because you don't need to prepare your app for iOS 11? I don't have an app. Exactly. So that's why you have time to talk about bizarre iOS versions. Well, you'll see why we're talking about this at the end of the episode. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Tease. Uh... But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the naming of iOS over the years. Um, and this is a, a sort of a thing that's just as forgotten as some of the versions we're going to talk about this episode. So people don't remember this, but from uh, from 1.0 to 1.1.4, iOS was not called iOS. It was not called iPhone OS. It was called iPhone software. And what's funny about that is the iPod Touch also existed. And what it ran was called iPhone Software for iPod Touch, which is kind of a strange name. <laughs> oh, it's no, come on! It's like the MacBook Pro with without Touch Bar for Thunderbolt ports of like 2016. It's the same thing. Yeah, well, their early naming was quite strange, actually, because they even didn't want to use version numbers early on. 1.1.1 was called iPhone Software September 07 update. 1.1.3 was January 2008 update. Uh, so they were giving these names to various version numbers early on. Uh, and, I mean, you can argue that 1.1.1 and 1.1.3 were major big feature releases for the iPhone, especially in the early days of the iPhone. Like, people don't remember how 
little you could do on an iPhone relative to what you could do on it today where people use it as their primary computer. But back in the day, you were very limited in what you can do. And both of those updates brought significant improvements in what you could do on it. Um, and so I understand them wanting to give it like a big flagship name to get people excited. And sort of funnily enough, like Windows 10 now is doing this. There's the Windows 10 creators update. And there was another update that I forgot the name of. But basically, they try to name these updates to give people like a big flagship thing to pay attention to. It's more of a marketing thing than another thing. Like a number like 4.2.6 is not sexy, uh, unless you're a geek. Um, of course, iPhone software, I think like people realize that iPhone software for iPod Touch especially was like kind of really stupid. Uh, so they changed it up with uh, iPhone OS when they announced 2.0. So from the moment where they announced 2.0, not the moment that 2.0 was released, the naming switched over to iPhone OS. Uh, one thing I should mention is it's incredibly hard to find actual proof that any of the stuff I'm saying right now is true, because Apple ran search and replace on their technical documents on their website to scrub away all of the old references of the names of things. So in the early days, they did a search and replace from iPhone software to iPhone OS, and afterwards they did iPhone OS to iOS, uh, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Um, and what's funny is there are other versions of 1.x, which were released after, uh, the announcement of 2.0, and we'll get into that very shortly. Uh, so iOS, uh, as most people remember, uh, became iOS with the release of 4.0. Uh, I think they realized that with the release of the i, uh, the iPad, iPhone OS for iPad was still not sounding great. Uh, so they wanted to consolidate everything under one name and iOS made sense. Um, and that's where we are today. Now, as we go through all the following versions, I'm also going to mention the code names for the iOS releases, because very few people actually talk about those code names. Uh, so why not? I mean, we have nothing better to do, so why not mention them? And uh, one thing to note is that all of them uh, early on were named after ski resorts. I'm not knowledgeable enough in ski resorts to actually know if any of the continuations are still ski resorts. So if you are knowledgeable in ski resorts, please let us know, as long as you're not a spammer. Okay, so we're going to start with the weirdest iOS version, which is one I am pretty sure you do not know. Oh, you're starting with the teeth already. Well, I'm going in chronological order, so I don't really have a choice. Okay, uh, that's good. This is 1A420. It's codenamed Alpine, and it's actually a prototype firmware, <laughs> which is why nobody's heard of it. Oh, so I see. So some guy on Mac Rumors bought a prototype iPhone on eBay or something. And he wound up with a prototype iPhone that has 1A420. Um, what is super interesting about this version is that it is early enough a prototype that it includes kernels for other CPUs that were under consideration by Apple for use in the original iPhone, uh, which is not something you really see. Uh, so the S5L3000, S5L8900X FPGA, and the Freescale MX31 all had kernels on the uh, original Alpine uh, firmware. And... Jailbreakers will probably have noticed that Alpine is a word that sounds familiar, and that's because the codename for this prototype firmware was also the default password for the root and later the mobile user accounts on the iOS Unix subsystem. So if you have ever logged in via SSH to your iPhone, the password was Alpine, and we would strongly recommend you to change the password, however most didn't. Um, yeah, super important, super important. I think it, even when you install uh, OpenSSH uh, CD, I think the first line is change the password, please. Yep. And, and I think a, a popular malware that propagate by using those jailbreak devices and the default password. I, I remember reading something in the past few years. That sounds correct, yes. 
<clears throat> I believe I, I this is like I don't have anything about this in my notes, but I believe the first couple versions of iOS actually used Heavenly as the root password, and that was because the code name for those versions was Heavenly. Um, but it was changed to Alpine a little bit later, I believe. But I'm not entirely 100% sure of this. It's a long time ago. Uh, back in those days, you had to do the like the 49-step jailbreak, which was a ton of fun to do. Uh, one of our uh, friends from school uh, came here to my place because I had a Mac and he didn't, and I jailbroke his iPod Touch for him, and it was literally 49 steps, and it was absolutely terrifying because you thought you were going to break it. Uh, but once you, uh, did- you could even break it. I remember people posting about, oh, I break my iPod Touch, I break my iPhone. Uh, breaking an iPod Touch even then was a big problem, but breaking a new iPhone... The iPod Touch like- you couldn't do, but the uh, iPhone could because of the baseband stuff. Oh, that's true, that's true. But still, like, you could leave the iPod Touch in a bad state. That would require, like, thrice uh, the step to just fix it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it was a very fun time to be a jailbreaker because it was very... It was a long process, but you felt so good when you could actually, like, install apps on your device that you weren't supposed to have. Uh, so let's move on to the first actual... Well, no, this still isn't an actual firmware release uh, that people would probably have run. Uh, let's talk about iPhone OS 1.2, which a lot of people, including yourself, uh, when we originally talked about doing this episode, had forgotten about. This- I did uh, forgot about it. I think a lot... like. You had to paint, paint me the picture again about what was its purpose. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I think you, we had a discussion around 2008 about that specific build. Yeah, it's a very weird version of iOS. Uh, it was codenamed Big Bear. However, it shared uh, that codename with uh, iPhone OS 2.0, which is going to be self-explanatory in a little second. Uh, and just for reference, 1.1.3 and 1.1.4 were Little Bear. Um this is perhaps the most obscure of numbered iOS releases in the episode because it was only released to a very tiny subset of overall iPhone users. And the reason for this is it was a special release that was targeting members of an Apple enterprise program that allowed select Fortune 500 companies and educational faculty to get advanced access to enterprise-related features that would launch in iPhone OS 2.0. So what are those features? Security policies and device configuration, remote wipe, which is a big one, certificates and identities, WPA2 and 802.1x authentication, Cisco IPsec VPN support, all that sexy stuff, uh, push email, this is another big one, the ability to view Office and iWork documents in the mail app, because you couldn't do that apparently on an original iPhone, and the most important one, do you remember this one? Ooh, that... Mm. If it's not VPN, because you didn't mention... I'll give you a hint. Okay, that's good. It's a visual way to tell the difference between 1.1.x and 1.2. Oh, you're stumped. It's the calculator icon. What? They included <laughs> the change in the icon for real? Yeah, so the calculator <laughs> was massively improved in iPhone OS 2.0 because they gave it the possibility to be a scientific calculator in landscape. And they also changed the appearance of the buttons and they reflected that change in the icon. So if you had 1.2, you had a fancy calculator icon before anybody else did. But did you add the updated icon uh Calculator app, or it was just the icon? No, you had the app as well. And the reason I know about this is because I happened to have a friend who was legible for the program and installed it on his iPhone. And when we were in New York for a school trip, I got to play around with his phone, and I played with the updated calculator, that super sexy beta calculator. (laughs) Uh, And I guess technically that was my first experience with using an iOS beta, since 
there was no 2.0 beta 1. There was a 2.0 beta 2, and there was 1.2, which was sort of 2.0 beta 1. Um, what's interesting about this is 1.2 could also be jailbroken using the same techniques as 1.1.x, which meant if you had a way to get the 1.2 firmware, uh, you could technically be running pre-release firmware and have a jailbroken, um, although I would not recommend it, uh, because a lot of software packages were just not expecting you to have 1.2 and they exploded um, but yeah that's how jailbreaking works and if i recall correctly they later on like with 2.0 patches a lot patched a lot of the uh, uh of the holes that they were used to jailbreak 1.1.x so it was a build before they patched those holes yeah like aside from the enterprise features features that i mentioned it was functionally identical to 1.1.x because they wanted enterprise users to continue to be using something stable. Um, and like most of the stuff for the App Store and App Store development was not in this build because it wasn't intended for those users. It was intended for enterprise users and they can wait until the stable App Store to install apps on their phones. Uh, besides, I'm not sure that they would really benefit that much. Uh, let's move on to the next release. This is going to sound very strange uh, because we're not going in numerical order. We are going in chronological order. And this one is inferior to 1.2 numerically. And that is iPhone OS 1.1.5 for iPod Touch, which is the third Little Bear release. It was released on July 14th, 2008. And it was only released on the iPod Touch because of a peculiar arrangement for early versions of iOS where upgrades cost money for iPod Touch users. Oh, I remember those times. I'm sure... I wonder if we, if I could go into my iTunes purchase history and see those purchases. I don't know about that. However, hmm. um, one of the things that was incredibly frustrating as someone who did not have a credit card at the time is <sighs> this was before iTunes Store prepaid cards worked as App Store credit or as uh, software update credit. So you couldn't actually buy a prepaid card and use it to pay to upgrade your iPod. Um, luckily, it was really easy to find versions of this firmware online because they did not verify if you actually bought it or not once you tried to restore it. But it did keep a bunch of kids back on 1.1.x, which is frustrating because you could install a bunch of games on 2.0, <laughs> and that sort of sucks. Um, so the reason that they had to charge for this, and they had to charge for it, it's not... Uh, like they were legally bound to do it is because of a U.S. accounting law called the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which applies to all publicly held publicly held companies in the United States. And basically, the way it works is products can be accounted for in one of two ways. You can account it as a product, which means a product is accounted for its full value upfront at the uh, at the time of purchase. However, you cannot add any value over time to that product, which basically means if you add features to the product, you must charge for them. Uh, there's another way of accounting for products, which is subscription. And as the name implies, uh, you can make it better because if a product is planned to become better over time, you allocate parts of that product's value to be accounted for at the time of that improvement. So if you say iPhone OS 2.0 costs $9.99, then you can only report uh, at the point of purchase that you sold uh, that you made product price minus $9.99 and other upgrades that you want to release in the future at the time of purchase. And then you can report the value that was added at the time when the update is made available. This sounds like complete bullshit because it that's not how software works, but it's the law. 
And it does sound like a way to make some taxes work magically so you can get more credit from the government and like move profit from like quarter to quarter and stuff like that. At its core, the law was trying to be more transparent to investors about where the money is coming, where uh, earnings are coming from. And I can sort of understand how that helps in that disclosure. However, it's not reasonable for software-based products to be anything other than a subscription, really. Uh, and that's sort of how Apple messed up. That original iPod Touch was accounted for as a product, and the iPhone was accounted for as a subscription. And that meant that legally Apple couldn't make software updates available for it without charging them. Uh, you may remember another incident that has happened in the past on the MacBook, because there was a MacBook that launched with an 802.11n capable chip. However, the N firmware wasn't ready at the time of launch. And they sold it as a product, which means the update that enabled 802.11n capability wasn't accounted for in the original value of the product, and they had to charge $5 to enable 802.11n on an airport card you already had in your computer, which is crazy, and I would love to know the percentage of users who have actually activated their 802.11n on that particular MacBook, but again, it's the law, so you can't really do much. I wonder if after a couple of uh, like OS, major OS update, if they could have just flipped the switch by accident, if you see what I mean. It's like, oops, the programmer made an accident here and voila, it's done. And it's sort of why like the free, uh, the free upgrades to certain versions of OS X only started with certain products is because they had to start uh, reporting Macs as subscriptions and not as products because otherwise it they couldn't legally actually provide free operating system upgrades. And that's really strange. Um, but what was the content of 1.1.5? Yeah, so this is probably the least, well, one of the least exciting versions in here because it was literally just bug fixes and security patches, which were never detailed publicly, which is sort of terrible. And the worst part of it is it didn't even, well, I, I guess it depends who you're asking. It didn't even patch out the jailbreak exploits that people were using for 1.1.4, which means... If you were having a really shitty time on 2.0 at the time of launch, because 2.0 didn't really get stable until 2.2, uh, if you were having really bad stability issues, you could always just fall back on 1.1.5 and jailbreak and have a pretty good experience for a while. Yeah, you were missing out on the new hotness of apps, but it was generally more stable than what you could get on 2.0, and you could do more exciting things with stuff in the jailbreak store than you could for 2.0. Uh, and we should also uh, remember that at that time, App Store queues were incredibly long as well, and there were that not that many apps on the store to begin with, so you weren't really missing out on that much in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, it was a very interesting release. I loved that release because it was probably the fastest that the iPod Touch had ever been uh, as an iPod Touch, and if you can find an iPod, a first-generation iPod Touch that has 1.1.5, it's a fantastic iPod if you just want to use it as an iPod. It's one of the best iPods if you can find one. But good luck, and the battery probably doesn't last very long nowadays. Yeah, and that's the surprising part of the original launch of the iPod Touch to me is it felt that Apple kind of knew that it would catch on. Like, would people like some people would say, "I don't want the real iPhone, or I don't have the means to pay for it." like a cell phone plan at that time, but I would like to get those features, but consider the iPod Touch a bit different, maybe because of its price difference, especially for those uh, accounting purposes. So it's interesting to see that they uh, quite quickly backtrack on that because I think they did charge for the 1 to 2, but not the 2 to 3. I believe 2 to 3 was still uh, 
paid. I think oh. four was the first that you could get four because was the first. because the first generation devices got shut out after three point one point three. So starting at That's four, true. you could actually. That's true. Yeah. All right, ready to move on to the next version. This is one that a lot of people have heard of uh, and have used. Always keeping a couple of version now. Yeah, a little bit. iPhone OS three point two to three point two point two. Codename Wildcat. Uh, it's a name that will sound familiar to a lot of people. It was released April third, twenty ten. The release date of the iPad. It was an iOS fork available exclusively for the iPad in its first few months of release, and it took until the release of iOS 4.2.1 on November 22nd, 2010, for the iPad and iPhone to once again converge on the same version of the operating system. Uh, there has been some speculation as to why iPad had to use a fork instead of using 3.1 or uh, instead of just waiting until 4. Um, I mean... The easy speculation to bring out is, well, the product was ready, so you might as well ship it. And the iPad needed something to launch with, and iOS 4 wouldn't be released for a couple months. Uh, presumably, work had already begun on making uh, new features of iOS 4 or changes that would impact uh, the iPad universal to both platforms. Uh, a good example for this is home screen folders, uh, the bane of my existence. <laughs> and they wanted to put together simple disposable implementations of the essential features that an iPad needs and then replace them with the brand new iOS 4 stuff. Uh, so once again, like my experience is primarily f fucking around with Springboard and the home screen icons and SB icon list on iOS 3.2, uh, iPhone OS 3.2 is a perfect example of what I mean because it is the simplest implementation of SB icon list you can find on any version of the operating system ever. And it was never used anywhere else, but it's clearly brand new, <laughs> um, which basically implies like they wrote this knowing that it was going to be temporary. And one of the amazing things about iOS 3.2 and its SB icon list implementation is because it was so simple, it made it an absolute joy for hackers to mess around with because it was never that simple and malleable and it has never been malleable ever since. Uh, Really, 3.2 as a hacker was my favorite version because everything was just stripped down to the bare essentials and so simple to hack that it was fun. Uh, whereas iOS 4 in particular, like the complexity of just the home screen icons is unimaginable. Like you have no idea how complicated that implementation is relative to a bunch of other apps that have probably tried to implement very similar things. Um, so I mentioned that the code name of 3.2, uh, Wildcat, would be a word that would mean specific things to certain people. And that's because if you were a hacker or a jailbreaker, uh, there was a private UI device property called IsWildcat that you could check to see if something was an iPad or not. And for a brief moment of time, uh, like in certain cases, you couldn't actually call IsWildcat because you were trying to call it before UI device was initialized. Uh, this is generally the case if you were doing anything within Springboard during its initialization, which is earlier than UI devices up. Um, so what you could do instead uh, in those very early versions is you could just say, oh, well, does the selector is Wildcat exist on UI device? And that was good <laughs> enough for a while. And then once 4.2 came out, you were like, shit, I need to actually do something so I can look for the actual uh, iPad status, yes or no, early on in the initialization of Springboard. But yeah, so is Wildcat means a little something to people who were jailbreaking back then in 3.2. Now we're going to do something we've never done on the show before, which is an intermission. Ooh. 
Wow. Yes, we are going to take a little break and talk about a completely different operating system. But you will realize very quickly why we are talking about this operating system, and specifically the version of this operating system. We're going to talk about Android 3.2 Honeycomb, which was released on February 22nd, 2011, with the release of the Motorola Zoom. Much like iOS 3.2, this was Android trying to make a tablet-only fork of the operating system as they tried to scramble to get both the phones and tablets on a coherent version of Android with a coherent design language, and as they were developing the infrastructure on top of which better universal apps could be developed. Uh, There has always been the concept of size classes in Android. Uh, However, the APIs that were available for size classes were terrible and very hard to use in a very sane way until Honeycomb and Ice Cream Sandwich were released. Um, And the reason this version means something to me is because me and our mutual friend, Shannon, we went to Google I.O. in 2011, and we were given a Galaxy Tab 10.1 running Honeycomb. Humble brag. Uh, However, at the same event, a friend of the show, Vic Gundotra, was talking about how great (laughs) it is. (laughs) Was talking about how great it is that Android is open and anyone can modify and customize it. There's an asterisk to that, and that means as long as you don't want to modify and customize Honeycomb, because Honeycomb is the only version of Android that was never released under the Android Open Source Project. And therefore, you as a hacker couldn't really mess with the operating system source or the source of its applications until Ice Cream Sandwich came out. And this was like back in the day when iPhone and Android wars were at an all-time high, and I found it super funny that they were both tablet forks and they were both 3.2. Because it was just Android copying the version number of Apple's tablet-only fork, uh, which was very uh, entertaining. And, of course, the irony of Vic Gundotra going up on stage and saying, Android is open and open always wins. Yeah, well, unless you're using a tablet. Okay, let's move on to uh, a cool OS called iOS. uh, (laughs) And let's talk about your favorite versions. iOS 4.2.5 to 4.2.10, codenamed Phoenix. Released on February 7th, 2011, which Brainiacs will recognize as the release date of the Verizon or CDMA iPhone 4, because, once again, this is a fork that was only released on the Verizon iPhone 4. Yeah, and at this time, only this... this you said CDMA phone, but it was like nicknamed the Verizon phone, because nobody elsewhere in their world will have access to that CDMA phone for a while. Yep. And we, I should point out that 4.2.5 to 4.2.10 were released in tandem with 4.3 and 4.3.5, uh, 4.3 to 4.3.5 on other iPhone SKUs. Uh, again, not quite sure why they had to stay back on 4.2. Like, that, that is still a mystery to me. Like, why couldn't they just be on 4.3? Who knows? Uh, m- most of the new features that were included in 4.3.x did not carry over to 4.2. Uh, even though those features ostensibly had nothing about them that was GSM specific. Um, so maybe it was just the secrecy around the release of the Verizon iPhone. The le- let's be honest, it wasn't really a secret. Um, but okay. Uh, yeah, because at that time it was the, uh, our beloved antenna gate problem. And then for some obscure reason, the CDMA phone was fixed for it. <laughs> and it was because of CDMA with big quotes. I'm sure some antenna people will contact us and say, yes, it was really because of CDMA. But we all kind of know, uh, like, but, and even Apple did kind of uh, acknowledge, but not acknowledge that it, the new antenna fix 
was part of the CDMA phone. And yes, it was because of CDMA, but not really because of CDMA. It's just to make the antenna better. Yep. So there is one major feature from 4.3 that didn't make it into 4.2.5, and that is Personal Hotspot. Um, Personal Hotspot was sort of launched alongside um, the Verizon iPhone, and otherwise everything else was bug fixes, security improvements, or patching jailbreak exploits. Uh, one of these security updates brought back a lot of memory, so I want, to, I want to bring it up. And that is, do you remember when there was a crowdsourced location cache on the iPhone and people were panicking that their iPhones were tracking them? Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> I forgot about that. But reading the release notes for this version, I remembered what happened. So to give a summary for people who don't remember, uh, location services on iOS from 1.1 to uh, 3.2 were using a service called Skyhook Wireless. And Skyhook Wireless was basically this big database of cell towers and wireless uh, Wi-Fi network IDs. And you could triangulate your location based on how close you were to those uh, to those signals. Apple decided to swap that database out for their own, which they assembled from crowdsourced iPhone location data. And this allowed them to cache data locally because they couldn't do it with Skyhook uh, for contract reasons. And it was based on your most frequent locations and allowed for quicker triangulation or even being able to triangulate when you're offline. Then someone went poking around their iPhone and they found this file which contained this cache of locations. And they posted it to the internet and said, Apple is tracking you around. Um... And people panicked for a while. There was an app where you could uh, plug your iPhone into your computer and it would show you all the places you've been recently um, or more frequently. And people freaked out a bit. Um, I don't think there was any nefarious use of that data, but some people were concerned that that data was still on the phone and there didn't seem to be any way to actually get it off the phone. Like turning off location services did not make the file go away, which was concerning to some people. And I can understand that. So in 4.2.8, and 4.3.3 on the rest of the world. Uh, this controversy was quelled by these three following fixes. They reduced the size of the local cache because people were getting concerned that it was holding too many locations and that it was too revealing of their uh, patterns. Fine. No longer backing up the cache to iTunes because that meant that even if you bought a new iPhone, your cache was getting carried over and therefore your previous locations, uh, your frequent locations from your old phone were carrying over. And they finally made it so that the cache is deleted when you turn off location services. So that basically shut people up for a while. Um, and now people are freaking out about third-party apps using <laughs> using location in the background. But that is a completely different topic. That is outside the scope of the show. Yeah, but it's funny that you mentioned that problem again because we discussed that problem in episode 51 in the episode where I was talking and exploring a permission system on mobile OSs, and we were talking about the location permission. And this is where we brought it up again. So if you want more details about that section, I know you just did a good summary, but you should go listen to episode 51 where I discuss about uh, mobile permissions. Okay, are you ready for the last OS? Ooh, yes, I am. Okay, we're going to go back in time to July 27th, 2017. And we are going to go forward in time to December 2017 and create a time rift with audio OS 11.0.2, codenamed Sinar. Oh, I see what you did there. Okay, that's good. We did, we, we did a pitch on maybe before, before we go with that, I think it would be nice to discuss a bit about the big gap from like iOS 4 and all of those like weird versions we've seen previously from 
to 11 because to this day i think apple kind of stopped doing those like folk of ios for specific hardware well it sort and of ties like... into audio os in a way because so far like the only times that there have been forks was when there are new ios device SKUs, and so far they haven't really released any new iOS device SKUs that aren't directly replacing an existing device. Whereas Apple TV, tvOS, um, I mean, technically we could have included all of the iOS releases for the pre-tvOS uh, uh, Apple TV in this episode because those were all technically running iOS under the covers. They were branded as iOS for Apple TV, but they sort of still feel like proto-tvOS. And basically like with the watch with the apple tv and now with the home pod apple has basically said yeah we're just going to create spin-off operating systems based on ios and the underlying technology but release it specific for that class of product and i don't think we're really going to be seeing any of those devices unless like apple makes an ios laptop or something uh i don't think we're going to be seeing those kinds of forks in the future because Apple is really just replacing existing devices, and therefore there's no real need for a fork. Hmm. Interesting. On that other point, too, uh, do you think that with the maturity that iOS has now, with nearly 10 years of existence, I think they kind of have a code base these days that is kind of maybe easier to just reuse in different products compared to what it used to be, where they would have to create fork of the code base. And I think a good example of that would be to compare it with macOS, a good friend, an old friend that is still around. And if you remember the first version of the Apple TV, which was running <laughs> macOS under the hood. This is true. And it was running Tiger, if I recall correctly. That sounds right, yes. Yeah. And there was an easy way to just enable Tiger and voila, you just have a uh, typical Mac. Yes, it was running an Intel shitty uh, CPU. You have but... a really hot Mac mini that isn't very fast. Yes, but it was running uh, Mac OS like any other Macintosh at that time. So I'm sure with the, all of the experience they have with the Mac, now with the maturity of the code base, it makes it just easier for them to just create spin-offs without just like forking everything and making sure that at some point uh, everything can just use all the new feature. And hopefully for them, it also means that they code the new feature once and it can be reused everywhere for all that. And like another example of like using that foundation iOS layer is the touch bar on the MacBook Pro, which is basically a mini iOS device, like a mini sort of iOS device, which is why I didn't include it in this. Um, but yeah, it's like iOS, the base layer of iOS, which is basically like UIKit, Foundation, and the... the Core run, graphics? Well, yeah, say. that too. Core animation, all that stuff. Like all the core technologies that made the iPhone great are getting reused once again in all of these different contexts. And they just created like a vanilla distribution of that they can use to create spin-off operating systems rather easily, and that's why there are like almost five of them now. <laughs> Let's move to the HomePod, the unreleased device. Yep. So as I said, uh, this, uh, like I put in my notes, parentheses, accidentally, question mark, released July 27th, <laughs> 2017. You might be seeing this on a device near you in December, as long as you're not in Canada. Rip. Uh, but yeah, so somebody put up the... Uh, the framework, uh, not the framework, the firmware for the HomePod 
like months before the HomePod is shipping. Uh, and there is a lot of debate as to why this happened. But there's also a bunch of other stuff involved in this, because unlike a regular iOS beta or final release, which is pre-processed with countless if-defs to ensure that information and features concerning unreleased products never make it to the compiler and therefore never make it into the built product, this one appears to have everything disabled, and all of the juicy information about unreleased products made it into the build. Uh, it has been a goldmine for hackers such as Guillaume uh, Rambo and Stephen Troughton-Smith, who have been digging through uh, this firmware over the past few weeks. And what makes this build so unique is that it's still up on Apple's website today, even though it contains this goldmine of information for people that should never have been released. And I have no idea why it's not. <laughs> they haven't removed it. We were talking about this in the post-show uh, last episode we couldn't understand how this was still on Apple's servers, like how they didn't yank this immediately. Like there there have been software updates that have killed iPhones and like an hour later they were gone. Now you basically have the product roadmap for the next six months of Apple products in this firmware and they didn't pull it. And I'm so baffled. Like this is not an Apple thing to do. It is not. But at the same time, after thinking about it for maybe the last uh, few weeks, there's, I think, two strategies that can be tackled here. Is The one is to, obviously, you realize it, you remove it, but at that point, the damage is done. Like, people that should have access, that not should have access, but the people that could have access to it, that will dig through it, would be able to have it and then dig through it still, so all of your roadmap will still leak, or you leave it there and you make sure that the next beta for the HomePod goes into the internal server and not on the public one and just do as nothing happened. Which I think that's I think that's what they are doing right now, obviously, because to this day, the firmware is still available. And they kind of assume that, yes, sadly, the damage is done. Poor person that is that did that by accident. Hopefully, it's by accident, to be honest. I everybody assume it's by accident. Well, of course, I do like, assume it is. <laughs> of course, but at some point, yeah. So there's also some debate as to whether this is even a fuck up. Like some people believe that this is a final release of 11.0.2, and that this is the release and it's done and here it is and we're going to put it up because it's the version that's going to ship on the HomePod and it's done and yes, all of that information about unreleased products is in the firmware, but that's because. Those products are going to be released when the firm, when the device is out and cool. <laughs> like it's the final release. Deal with it. And, uh, I didn't have time to research this more because normally there are signs within, uh, one of the images for these firmwares that something is a beta or not. Um, certain lists of Apple firmwares are listing it as a final version and not as a beta. So I'm not sure if that actually is just somebody editing the wiki for fun or if it's just like actually confirmed now. Um, if it is a final release, like, well, first of all, the, the thing that is to be determined is, is the HomePod going to ship with 11.0.2? Is it going to ship with 11.1? Which version is it going to ship with? If this is a final release of a pre-release audio OS that will never ship, it probably isn't a good idea for it to be public and therefore it's probably a mess up. But if this is like, final release this is what we're putting on the home pod in the factories i mean i understand them wanting to put it up uh i when we were arguing uh after the last show about like what's going on with this firmware i proposed the idea that well what if apple seeded reviewers with 
pre-release versions of the HomePod like they did with the AirPods a couple of months in advance last year. And reviewers have them. They just can't talk about them yet. And the firmware is there to ensure that if they screw something up, they can restore from the firmware. Like, that seems plausible. It still seems like a massive oversight to have your entire product road mapped in that firmware, though. Like, that's the thing that I don't understand is... I understand, like, how this could be a final release and how you can justify, like, yes, this is the final firmware, good. I don't understand how you release it that early publicly while not also scrubbing mentions of your product roadmap. I don't understand. Yeah, I think to this day we'll still remain We're just going to keep talking in circles until we figure this out. You know, Yeah, and you know what? I hope in, like, two, three, four, five years, one day somebody will just come out and say, like, I know what happened. Let's talk. It, judging by how Scott Forstall stuff turned out, we're going to have to wait 10 years. True. True. <laughs> hey, but... remember the 10th anniversary of the HomePod, the device that revolutionized the home audio. Yay! Okay, let's talk to the guy who accidentally uploaded the firmware. <laughs> I just hope oh, they get yeah. a better interviewer at the Computer History Museum for that. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see in 10 years. In 10, 2027, man. A lot can go <laughs> wrong in 2027. <laughs> So that is the complete list of Bizarro iOS releases. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring it up is we just got a Bizarro iOS release with that audio OS release. And I thought, well, why not bring up all the other ones? Uh, and I, this was a topic that like, like we've been talking about this for months that I've been wanting to do this. And I also have other ideas for other Bizarro operating system release episodes. Uh, I do want to talk about Bizarro OS X. I want to talk about uh, potentially Bizarro Windows. Uh, I have a lot of crazy ideas for these episodes. However, there are so many topics I want to talk about, and some are more topical than others. So I am not promising a consecutive series uh, of episodes, but we will eventually get to all of these topics over time. That's true. Unless you need buy a Switch. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's it. Yes. Oh, okay. So... If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, you can go on our website at, at limitlesspossibility.net slash 71. You can also take a look at our backlog and download all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at, at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at, at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Yannick at... Sakrina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.